I think the music would be cool if it's like um no that's not what what I'm making with my mouth is not what I hear in my head but kind of spacey sounding Welcome to the Denver's, a Denver sports podcast. Uh, it's Quinn and your boy, Derek, and we are here live at the pod space. It's pretty exciting. We've been trying to do this for a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, much like a Nuggets and Avs playoff series win. One of those is in the books. The other one is right on the cusp. Uh, Derek, set the scene for us. What's happening at the Pepsi Center right about now? Well, I mean, right now the Avs are just kind of sitting around waiting and finally got their opponent last night, but the Nuggets really brought the energy last night. Last night was the first time where it felt like a playoff game energy and the Nuggets rose to the level of a playoff team. They looked like the team that we saw like December, January for the first time, and they finally had all their starters playing and Barton coming off the bench and Torrey Craig starting. It was really exciting. It was the first time where you're like, the Nuggets could actually be a good team in this playoff. Yeah, I think... Well, we're such subscribers to the Nug life, just waiting for a good feeling to be dashed in a dramatic fashion. But they put together four full quarters of competent, not well, dominant basketball, really, to the point where you're looking at the different matchups, the lineups on the floor, and thinking, oh, there's really nothing the Spurs can do to answer what the Nuggets have. Well, and the lead got to, I think it was 23, and then it started going down a little bit right at the end of the third quarter, and Jokic decided he was going to be the superstar and hit those two three-pointers at the end of the third quarter, and it put the game out where I was like, the Nuggets are in a little bit of trouble. I know they're ahead by 20 points, but <laughs> this is the kind of game you lose if it goes on for too long. And then suddenly they just went off, and it uh, it was exciting to see. It was exciting to see Jokic play that kind of game. Yeah, it's like killer instinct, I think, uh, what the Nuggets have been struggling with, especially last year, is that they have a big lead, and then they try to absolutely destroy the team as opposed to play, playing the competent ball that got them the lead in the first place. Um, I always look at it as like a lion doesn't kill its prey by like tearing it to shreds. That would be very difficult to do. It just like <laughs> chokes the shit out of it until it dies. Um, and that's the type of killer instinct that they actually played with last night, as in they realized that they were running away with it, that really they were just the more talented team on the floor, but they still played within – a system taking the extra pass to get the best open shot possible. And that was really heartening. Like, Will Barton on the last podcast were talking about, um, is it okay to boo him if he's playing terribly? And he reluctantly but willingly accepted the role as a bench player and came out last night and looked like the guy that we've hoped to see all season, which was great that everyone played their role and absolutely blew them out headed into it with a 3-2 lead headed into game six tomorrow where they can close it in san antonio what confidence do you have that they can close it in six i had no confidence going into the game last night i thought game six was gonna be a loss no matter what happened but they finally looked like the team that we thought they could be they looked like a two seed Mm -hmm. and that was important and so i think i mean i think the spurs are going to win but i saw someone on twitter say this and i really agree they, if the Nuggets play a good game, they're going to win. The Spurs have to play a great game to win. And mm. I think that that's sort of where we are, even in San Antonio. If they both play a bad game, I think the Nuggets still win. So it really puts a lot of the pressure on the Spurs at this point to have a great game. Yeah. And I think Greg Popovich, 
he's a living legend. Dude kind of looks just like old and tired a little bit, and <laughs> um, especially LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, the veterans on the team, they kind of looked old and tired too. So it's, of course, you go into San Antonio, that crowd is going to be the largest obstacle, I think, for a young Nuggets team um, to start off strong. But, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of different scenarios, like um, uh, fighting Thanos. There's a lot of different scenarios, actually, that you can see where the Nuggets win, where San Antonio only has, like, a few options to pull that off. And that's a good point, because tomorrow night is also the release of Avengers Endgame. Very important. It's it's actually a huge weekend. Um, and, yeah, the, the end game for the – First round series could play out tonight, tomorrow. Depends on when you're listening. Thursday. <laughs> um, but I I don't want to get too far ahead, and I think we should talk about this for a minute. The psyche around being a Nuggets fan is that they will come out and disappoint you in the worst way. So if they get destroyed in San Antonio, which could happen, like how do you feel about game seven? <sighs> um. I'll be in attendance. Marks the f- first time in my life I've been to all four. I'd be I've been to all four games in the series. Um, we know they'll be wearing those mile high jerseys because they're not going to wear any other jerseys ever again. Apparently, yeah, apparently, which is weird. We had all this excitement about the rainbow jerseys, and it's the mile high jerseys that have been prominent in this series. Um, I, game seven is just like the perfect stage to let you down in the worst way, which oh, we're just well, way too used to. It's If they lose to the Spurs, it's more likely that they lose a very bad game to the Spurs and that they'll have to shake it off. But one of the most incredible things about this team is that, what, they're 12-1 and in the regular season playing on the second game of a back-to-back, and that anytime they've had a bad loss, they come back. Very natural, and I think um, consistency is one of the huge issues with this team. But it actually would play into their favor is that you just never know what to expect. So if you get a bad game, they're usually going to be the other side of that coin and then come out and play hard. And I think the, the Nuggets crowds have been – they've been there. People have been excited when the announcer tells them to, but it hasn't been like – crushing playoff basketball but the biggest advantage is still the altitude and so I think if it goes to a game seven they'll have a lot of mental stuff to shake off but they've already proven to themselves that they not only belong as a two seed but deserve to be in the second round so last night I went in with so much confidence that it actually like scared me because like oh yeah that nug life is creeping back um but they played into it. So I have like a lot of confidence for Game 6. If they don't win, I can accept it and understand. But I really don't see them losing a Game 7, which is terrifying. The other thing I think about, and maybe the storyline will develop over the next couple of games and maybe in the playoffs, is when you think about the Nuggets, the thing about all of the times they've disappointed us in the past is we can look and say, if this one thing went differently, they would have won. And that's what we don't have in this series. There isn't a weird inbounding thing with Anthony Carter. There isn't a, well, if Melo hadn't decided to get traded, we would have had <laughs> one more run at it. There isn't uh you know, if Gallinari doesn't Gallo's convert, ACL yeah. 2012. Um, if they don't decide Brian Shaw is the future. <laughs> like, there are all these what-ifs with the Nuggets. And, they're, and 
I don't see that right now. Like, even if they lose a series, you'll be like, they were, because they've won a couple of games, you'll be like, oh, they're a young team. So far, there's not that what if, which always seems to come with the Nuggets letdown. And so that also, to me, is a positive where maybe they won't do it this time. Maybe they won't. I mean, like, fingers crossed, um, as long as you have Nikola Jokic on the floor, you've got, like, all those what ifs are out the window because you have, like, this is what it is. And what I really love to see last game is that they were playing a game where he was the offensive leader on the floor. People were cutting. Um, when he got double teamed, he was able to kick out. Shots were falling early and often, which was great. Um, and so that, it, just, it wouldn't come down to one thing because they're doing too many other things right. And the thing I liked about Jokic's game last night was there was the Murray-Jokic one two-man game that's always great, but the Jokic-Harris two-man game was really good last mm-hmm. night. There was that early double team where he threw it out to Harris, who was wide open for three points. There was a give-and-go that I really liked with Harris, and so it really does seem like he's engaged with the whole team again, which we really didn't see with the starters. We saw that Mar with the Beasley-Wancho-Morris combination when everyone else was hurt. But it's nice to see that with the starters again. And it was beautiful to see Wancho on the floor because it meant that the Nuggets were winning by so much in the game that he got a solid five minutes. Only put up, I think, two rebounds and a foul. But And the Nuggets really didn't score. They scored one basket in the last five minutes, it felt like. It might have been like four minutes, but they stopped scoring at the end of that game. They stopped scoring, but they didn't need to. No, it like, was fine. Pop conceded early and put his um, deep bench on the floor. So, I mean... There's so many small things. Like, Craig didn't have a dominant starter game. He scored no points, but I think he had 10 rebounds. Um, so there's just – it's they're a multi-tool in ways that they can kill you. And San Antonio, for all of the lore and legend of the Spurs that will never die, um, they really just don't have enough options to keep up with it. I mean, like, you can't ever count Pop out because he's just the master chess player. But – Malone, I think, understands what he needs to do um, for those in-game adjustments, and he can just rely on the starting five and then the three or four guys that can come out and just kill them with energy and efficiency. And I think if they can get all this done, hopefully we're going to be talking about a real rivalry playoff series. That's the other thing that this has lacked. Like, it's been heated at times, but there has been no bad blood on either side, really. Like, other than, like, it's sad to watch Derek White destroy his own hometown team. That's, like, the worst thing that's happened in this yeah. series. And it's like, I'm happy for him as a CU fan. There was a dude who was booing him, and it was, it was like, so half-hearted. The guy was also booing the cheerleaders for some reason, so I didn't think he was in his right mind. But it was like, come on, bro. Like, I want to see Derek White do well in this league because, yeah, hometown kid. I certainly don't want to see any more success from him in this series. But it's it's been a very gentleman's game. Um, like, don't want to get too far ahead. But if we're able to make it into the second round and play Portland, that's going to be really exciting because it's going to be trial by fire for Jamal Murray against a absolutely, like, supernova red-hot Dame Lillard. Um but especially Murray is a dude who I think in his first game he thought he was ready for that level, and now his play is living up to it. So that'll be really exciting to see some, like, grit. Well, let's hope we're talking about that in a week and not just 
not having a podcast because we're so sad about the Nuggets, which is probably what would happen if they lose. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll have a podcast, but it'll be I'll hire a few violinists to come in and we'll just play like some sad ass Russian opera for uh, an hour um, with me just like reading stats of the two games that the Nuggets would have to lose. Barton, 0 for 24 prediction if they lose those two games. Oh, uh, then I would be furious. It's like, who let you? Um, we're going to talk about the other teams, but because we're both in this right now, playoff superstitions. What's going on with you? What are you doing day to day right now? Okay, well, shout out to Nuggets Reddit, um, one of the fastest growing basketball subreddits. Um, and just for context... Quinn is our Reddit guy, and I'm our Twitter guy. We have, like, we bring the two worlds together just in this show. We don't go into each other's ch- territory. He does Reddit, I do Twitter, but that's sort of our dynamic. That's, yeah, two of the most, like, we we are the frontline soldiers for one another, distilling the awful, toxic, hot, hot, terrible takes um, from each respective community and giving you the best version of that. Um, well, shout out to Nuggets Reddit. Last year um, in the Nuggets push for the playoffs, um, shout out to the user, I can't remember his name off top, but one golden, beautiful individual started the sandwich tradition that every game you have to eat a different type of sandwich, and that powered them to a six-game winning streak into game 82. I failed because I ate a hot dog that day. And there was a lot of discussion on the subreddit, is a hot dog a sandwich? And we came to the agreement that, yeah, it's a sandwich. False. It is not a sandwich because they lost. So this year, um, I've been dutifully eating a sandwich every playoff game. Um, Yesterday, I had a uh, pita pocket. It's not a sandwich. So even though I was totally full, I made a sparse-ass peanut butter and jelly sandwich before the game just to make sure I was keeping up with that vibe. Game um, four, uh, watching it with Derek, got snarfs, shout-out, is delicious, and the Nuggets won. So my of the many different superstitions I have, um, like my biggest superstition is don't have hope because it gets dashed. But uh, from that is eat a sandwich every day, power the nuggets to a championship. I think all of those are good. I for me right now and this is the hardest one. Game 1 I did not wear a nuggets shirt because I was working and so I didn't have one. I will be that's the only game where I felt like that was my fault. Like mm. my bad. Mm. I will be wearing a nuggets shirt going forward. I probably going to have to go get some more nuggets shirts cuz I only have two and it's getting too much to have to do laundry all the time, but um that's that's my big nuggets one right now along with the trying not to have too much hope because once you have hope, it's just dashed. (laughs) Um, But for the avalanche, so in hockey, of course, the playoff beards are big, and I'm already feeling the effects of it. This is about the limit for me of beard, which is about two weeks now. That's about it. That's about as long as I ever go. I do grow it a lot, but then I just hit this moment where I'm like, I'm done, and I shave it off. Well, that's impressive, I will say. Thank you. I am a little terrified about what this is going to be like we have, you know, next two weeks, hopefully they win that series. I'm in a wedding at the end of May. Oh. And one, like, they're both Avs fans. They're both from here. They're in Minneapolis. I have not told them yet about the playoff beard, though. And I think Rose, who I'm actually in her wedding party, I'm like a maid of honor guy. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know how she's going to react to the beard. So I'm going to keep that from her for a while and hope she doesn't notice. I've, I've, I certainly don't know the politics of... Um, cross-gender wedding party um, 
rules. But I feel like if you are one of the dudes of honor, that you get to be as dude as possible. Um, I would love to see your, what, then, like, eight-week beard in the wedding party. The only thing is if the groom doesn't have an equally um, good-looking beard, then I think that'll get kind of dicey. Like, you might get in a fight with somebody's dad. Andre, he's the groom, but he can grow a beard. Hopefully he's growing one, too. I'll ask him. Okay. Throw that in. And then... I have worn my Sackick jersey from the era after the lockout, so it still has the pipes on it. I'm sorry, diehard jersey people. I know it's the worst jersey. <laughs> we all know it was the worst jersey, but it's the Sackick jersey I have, and they've won every time I've worn it, so I'm going to keep wearing it. Um, so that's my other thing right now is wearing that jersey on game day. I This is more just because I'm a trash panda than, like, true superstition but i've also worn almost the exact same nuggets gear for every game um but i got some awesome socks uh through the denver stiffs um charity drive and i'm gonna say every time i've worn them they've won i don't know that for a fact but that's a great thing about superstition we don't care about facts it's just about how you feel so i have some socks that i probably should have washed um but i couldn't wash them yesterday because i had to wear them yesterday um so I've been rocking hardcore with those. They're like cool Skyline ones. It matches my Skyline jersey, which is dirty, but I haven't had time to get it dry cleaned because the Nuggets keep having games. So um, actually, hopefully they can sweep the round two series and um, Houston-Golden State go to like a seven-game series because that will give me like a good five- to six-day pocket to get it dry cleaned. Well, I can't see, unless the Nuggets win tomorrow, I can't see them starting that series before like Tuesday or Wednesday. So you're going to have like three or four days. Okay. Maybe you could go. Like, yeah. they're not going to start it on Monday. If they, if the Nuggets somehow win the Thursday night game, I could see them starting on Sunday. But otherwise, they're not going to start on Monday. Okay. Well, so. Sunday would be a lot emotionally. And if... the, the Avs play game two on Sunday. So the Avs, we'll transition to the Avs now, unless you got any more on the superstition. Um. We'll revisit it because Rockies has their own set of superstitions, but we'll wait later in the season to really bust those out because it's one superstition. Don't talk about shit too much. And the other thing is that superstitions are great, and then it's what do you do when things go wrong and how do you start changing things, like the panic. So we'll talk about that when that happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but talking about the Avalanche, so the Avs are going to play the Sharks, and it was the most improbable comeback that you could really have. They were, the Sharks were down 3-1 in that series, Came back, won the next three games. In the last game, they were down 3 nothing in the game and got a five-minute power play that was controversial, scored four goals on that power play because five-minute power plays don't expire. You get to score forever. And that used to be how all power plays were also. So, mm. like, I think it was the Canadians had such good power plays that they changed the rule that it expired because the power plays were so good, they get like the three goals in two minutes, and they'd say, "Okay, we got to change this." That's beautiful when one team changes yeah. rules. Um, so then it ended up the Knights came back, tied it, went to overtime. Sharks scored in overtime, and it was, I it seemed like there was a curse on the puck that would like let it not go in the net. There were so many close calls in that overtime, more than normal, where it's like every shot feels big. There were just wide open nets all the time that no one could hit for both teams for like the 12 minutes that overtime went on. Sharks win. Avs will play them Friday night in San Jose. And then it's an every other night schedule again, which is weird for the NHL to just do that. Like, I think, you know, it happens. But the fact that the Avs are not going to have a single third day 
through the first two rounds is really weird. Like other teams in the NHL have had some day off at some point Oof. between those. So I think in a lot of ways, though, this is the perfect scenario for the Avs because the Sharks are an older team. I think I looked it up and there are four or five players that were on the Sharks in 2010, the last time the Avs played them in the playoffs, Whoa. including Joe Thornton, who has the huge beard. Looks like he's, you know, much older than he actually is, but he's in, he's got to be at least 40 now. Um, <laughs> I don't think you could get much older if you're 40 still playing. Yeah, that's, that's about it. Um, and so they are a slower team, so it's going to be interesting to see how the Avs play against them. If the Avs can bring their speed, that is great. The Sharks also had to play seven games with two overtimes in game six and seven. Game six actually went to double overtime. Game seven, just one overtime. So they have played a ton of hockey already. Basically, they've played three more games in the abs if you add all those overtimes and mm -hmm. consider those a period. And they're older, and they're slower, and their goaltending hasn't been as good as the Avalanche. So this is a good matchup for them against an experienced team that's desperate, that has always been the team that should have won the Stanley Cup at some point and hasn't. So it's a really interesting matchup between the two. Mm. Um, when we like talk about experience... What is kind of the line between – so the Sharks have gotten to play more hockey, and so they're just kind of like more battle-tested at this point. How does that hurt a very young but now like super confident Avs team? And then what are some of the benefits to having this much space in between their last game and the game on Friday? So f first on the space between it, they'll go a whole week without a game, which is great. Um Everybody's injured in hockey all of the time. And so there are guys on the team that are hurt right now that we know. Like Rantanen was hurt. I don't think he was fully recovered. Jost is hurt. He's sort of coming back. There are other guys. Gerard wasn't able to be in the lineup. We're hoping he'll be able to come back at some point. So from that standpoint, being able to rest, especially when San Jose not only hasn't been able to rest, but lost one of their best scorers on that five-minute penalty, Pavalski, who got cross-checked up. He was bleeding. It's clear he has a concussion. He looked like he was out cold on the ice. Oof. So he, any reasonable person would say he should not be playing in at least game one and probably game two, but it could be a lot longer. We don't, we haven't heard an update about him mm. yet as of this recording. So that really favors the abs. The downside to that is Grubauer really plays well when he can be streaky. So he likes playing a lot of games in a row. That was one of the problems I felt like with the first game of the Calgary series was Grubauer wasn't sharp yet. So mm. that's something early on that may be a disadvantage for the Avs. But then when you talk about experience, the thing that the Sharks have is they've been in every scenario. And now they've truly been in every scenario because they come back from three goals down and a uh, being down 3-1 in a series, which just makes them very dangerous because they know they can come back. Where the Avs... They know that they can overcome adversity. They know they can go on streaks. But how do they look when they get down in a series? Because we've only seen them down 1-0. And so I think that that's sort of it. The Sharks have all these scenarios in their head. They know how heartbreaking it is to lose and don't want to do that. The Avs, you know, last year was a tough one, but they shouldn't have won that series. Mm -hmm. They also shouldn't be in the playoffs. But now they have this success. They've got the speed. How are they going to adjust to how the Sharks are going to attack that with their experience? Mm. Um, so they lost, the Avs lost all four games against the Sharks this uh, regular season. And I think the predominant discussion is, well, the regular season don't matter. This is the playoffs. Uh, 
how has the team changed since then? Not just in terms of like, well, they just knocked off the number one seed, but really has they play as a unit? I mean, adding McCarr seems like um, a great secret weapon, but in terms of like the mentality and kind of like the style of play, how has that changed from the regular season to Friday? Yeah, and it's as you were saying, they they lost you know four in a row to San Jose. They also haven't won in San Jose since 2015. So that is a huge mountain the Avs are coming into. And the Sharks are really that team that they're trying to overcome. They're the team. They're like Houston for the Nuggets. The Avs just cannot beat the Sharks. And so that is worrying coming in. But the thing that has changed, first of all, is McKinnon. No one has ever seen McKinnon play this well. Like he... It was like on that one play, I think it was in game two, where he just broke by that defender and scored, where he just had another level. Mm-hmm. It felt like he like evolved into an even better player than he was before in that moment. And since then has just been so dominant. So the Sharks do not know this Nathan McKinnon. They know the previous Nathan McKinnon, but this one is upgraded. The Avs have a lot more depth now. You know, they got a lot of goals from guys that you wouldn't expect, including adding McCarr, but also... The second line played pretty well. You know, Comfort played really great, getting a couple key goals. So they have more depth. They're able to now play more chess matches. So especially if Gerard comes back, the Avs are going to have 7D and only 11 forward, so they'll have one spot open. So McKinnon's going to be going in and out of the lineup. Landis, Cog, and Ranton will be on different lines, so they can really fool around with what's going on because they're confident in their group that they can play with anybody. And the Sharks have really good defensemen, but they're not fast. Mm. And that really is the thing. Like, they're going to try to put people on McKinnon. That worked terribly for Calgary. It'll see, we'll see if it works here. But I think that that and Grubauer, like, Grubauer has never been this good. And so that's the other thing. They have a legitimate starting goalie who I think most people think is the hottest goalie in the playoffs right now. Hey. So I think they have a good chance. I don't want to be like, they're definitely going to win, but it feels like they have a good chance. So it kind of sounds like you have a higher threshold of confidence for the Avs than you do for the Nuggets. Well, I mean, for, I, for right now, I would say first round. I feel a lot more confident about the Nuggets in the second round, and I think part of that is how they played against Portland. Mm-hmm. But going into last night before the Nuggets found that other gear, I was not very confident about the Nuggets. I sort of felt like... We'll see what happens in Game 5, and that will decide the series. But the Nuggets showed up in a big way in Game Mm 5. And so that makes me – it'll be interesting to see, and I think the Nuggets play better when they feel like they're being disrespected, and no one is going to disrespect them more than Damian Lillard. Oh, totally. That's – like every ESPN thumbnail and clip is going to be about Dame Lillard and what he did against the Nuggets. Regardless, it it could be a 30-point – um, blowout, and it's still going to be more about Dame Lillard. So, um, yeah, the Nuggets are going to have to fight for their respect, whereas it seems kind of like the Avs, even though they'll be the lower seed, are coming in. People know it's like, got to watch out for these boys. And, I mean, in the hockey playoffs, every series you get punched in the mouth, you get hurt, there's grums. Like, that's just how playoff hockey is. And mm-hmm. so they don't need to rise to that level. They've already gotten there. They just have a new opponent ahead of them. Oh, cool. Again, this is one of the most exciting times to be a sports fan, especially if your money is in any way tied into the Pepsi Center because it has been popping. And, I mean, the other good thing is right down Blake Street, the Rockies finally seem like they're ready to be a professional baseball team again. (laughs) It warms my heart indeed. Um, Just hitting on them real quick. I So as we're recording this, the Rockies are up. We'll see if that 
sticks, but um, they'd win this series against the Nationals. They had a good series against the Phillies. They're creeping up to 500, which mm-hmm. is like the first hurdle they had to get to. And the thing that I've liked is their offense finally came alive this week. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think almost all the hitters are still below 300, but now everyone is starting to even out, like hitting 250 and above. And even like Ian Desmond, I think he's at 300 when there's uh, runners in scoring position. Uh, They've really cut down the um, number of guys that they leave on base. So, like, they're not playing lights-out baseball. And I still feel like, have they hit, like, even 10 home runs this whole season? Um, Maybe just because of the last few days, but otherwise, no. Yeah, they're not playing, like, world beaters, but they're playing, like, more strategic baseball, which is really heartening. And um, they played a great series against a Phillies team that otherwise looked awesome. Uh, John Gray had one of his best starts um, in a long, long time. And I know it's still early, like, because John Gray always looks like an ace in April, May, and June. Um, but as long as they can play baseball that sets them up for a wild card run, it's possible that we'll get the Rockies of old. And it's all heartening to know that, like, Arenado hasn't hit, and hit that next level yet. Um, I kind of feel like Blackman is a known commodity, but if the lower order um, can set him up for success with being able to get RBIs and great leadoff hits, then the Rockies, they're going to be a more dangerous team than the first, like, three, four weeks gave us any hope for. And I think Tapia emerging really over the last few days has been great to see because it's the player we knew he could be, but he just hasn't been yet. Mm. And it will give you that option at some point where Ian Desmond doesn't really have to be in your lineup that much if you don't want him to, which... He is doing well with runners in scoring position, but he's still batting below 200. His career, it feels like he's always at 178. I don't know if he isn't, but it feels like that was where he always was last year. That's where he was the year before. Like, 178 seems to be his Rockies average. Yeah, to the point that, like, now, if he were to be above 200, it would look really weird. That'd be, like, the first thing I would see um, if I'm looking at the lineup. Um but yeah, the, some of the like McMahon has been playing great. David Dahl coming back from injury, um, and those two dudes—they're always ones that I was like, these guys just look like they look like the dudes that you think would play well but never play as good as you'd hope for them to. Um, but it seems that they're playing with more confidence. I think for so many dudes that the Rockies have, they've been in the farm system for so long that they're playing like guys from the farm system who get a chance in the majors. Um, but I think once they settle into like, I am a major league baseball player that everyone's going to hit their stride at the same time. And it'd be really cool if like, and story is hitting better still that man, he'll have some nasty strikeouts, but when he does make contact, so it's a lot of things have to come together, but luckily the baseball season is so long. There's a lot of time for those things to gel. Well, and I think, you know, when we talked about them right before the season, I said, if you believe in the Rockies guys the way the Rockies believe in their guys, they're going to have a good season. Hmm. And the first few weeks, the Rockies guys were terrible. Like the guys they thought who were going to fill in were not good, but they've really stepped up the last week. So now we're swinging back to maybe the Rockies know what know about their guys better than I was thinking. <laughs> um, real quick, you want to talk about Chris Harris? Yeah, that hurts my heart. But, I mean, it's a really interesting discussion. Um, Could you set the scene for us? Yeah, so Chris Harris wants a new contract. He's, by many people, have said he's the most underpaid defensive player in the league. 
Um, I don't exactly know what his contract is now. We can look it up in a second. But he has made it clear he wants a new contract. Yesterday, Elway had a press conference, and he was like, welcome to the most boring press conference of the year. And instead of it being the most boring press conference of the year, Elway had to say some stupid stuff about Chris Harris and just go off. And he basically said they weren't worried about Chris Harris right now. He was under contract. So that was their concern. They think they talked to him after the draft and yeah. Chris Harris got mad. I mean, it's so for me, it's disheartening, but when you say, well, this is a business, you have to treat it like a business. Um, but like for the fans, we don't spend an exorbitant amount of money rooting for a team just because it's a business. It's a team. Um, and we get to live vicariously through superstars to play a game. Um, and so Chris Harris, like undrafted free agent, all of a sudden became one of the best corners in the league and won a Super Bowl, signed a team-friendly deal to stay with the Broncos because he felt that this Denver would give him the best chance to win again and again, and they did not. Um, but he was still solid. Like um, outside, There's been so many moments outside of Vaughn and Chris Harris that there just wasn't a whole lot of hope for anyone on the team. And so now he's over 30, realizing that, yo, I've played way higher value than the contract I chose to sign um, allows for. And now it's kind of once he wants that retroactive um, thank you money. And John well, Elway plays hardball. And, I mean, Chris Harris is still one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Like, it's not like he's over the hill. But, no. like, he definitely deserves more money than he makes. Right now he's making $7.8 million, which is, you know – Quite a lot less than some of the other people. Right now, Talib's making eleven million a year. So that's sort of the gap there. And it's the thing is, I think Harris was always the better cornerback between Talib and, and Harris. Yeah. Um it's been reported that Harris wants around fifteen million, which the Broncos have said they're not going to do. But Harris has also said that he wants to retire a Denver Bronco and the ball's in their court. It's just a weird the draft's tomorrow which we haven't talked about at all. Yay, we did a good job. <laughs> if you have happened to listen to our podcast, congratulations to all of us for not having to think about the draft too much. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he could get traded tomorrow. Like, that's sort of where we are right now is he could get traded tomorrow. They could try to wait till after the draft. Like, it's it's gone from Elway saying the most boring press conference to a year to it being really a critical 48-hour period for Chris Harris. Yeah, but it's... At this point, there's only there's probably fewer than ten, maybe fewer than five guys still on the team from the Super Bowl year, and I mean Chris Harris was such a good player that he made like every other corner on the team, every other defensive player on the team, just that much better because he would shut down an entire portion of the field because they just wouldn't throw to him. Um, and although he got injured last year. It wasn't an injury that would definitely tell you that he's never going to play to that level again. And, I mean, just for the team's sake, like, he's a culture and character guy so much that, yay, we haven't talked about the Broncos much because I just don't care as much. Luckily, we have other sports that are taking precedent right now. But for me as a fan, I would be less happy rooting for the Broncos to know that not only is Chris Harris not playing, but that... He's not playing because of money and politics as opposed to a mutual split or anything. And it's not like the Broncos have a bunch of great players that they need to pay and so they can't pay Chris Harris. It's like they have a few 
great players. He's one of them. He and Vaughn, I guess they have two great players, some rookies that you're like, we hope we're going to pay you a lot of money, but we've got you under contract. Yeah. And then uh, some good players like Derek Wolf and Derek Wolf, who has also expressed some dissatisfaction with um, Broncos management. John Elway, that will be another podcast entirely. I mean, this podcast was inspired by the Game of Thrones um, level dysfunction um, in the ownership of the Broncos. But John Elway is a really fascinating character that we'll get to dive into more. Um, but it's just been a really tough road for the Broncos just in terms of interest. Like, even the draft is coming up. And they have a high pick in, at 10th because they didn't play well last season. And there's just not too much interest. Everything seems like really middle of the road in terms of who they could draft, who could make the team better. And it's crazy to think that we're, as we're recording this, we're like 36 hours from the Broncos maybe drafting the quarterback of the future. And we're like, ah, we'll I see. I've been hurt too many times before. Like, I remember when they drafted Paxton Lynch and – there was this sense like, wow, this pirate-looking dude is going to be the captain of our ship. And so it's with the Broncos, it's really show and prove. But with Chris Harris, he's proved it again and again and again. And for me, it just doesn't feel right that there's now a public spat happening about like one of the most important players. He's a ring of famer, um, and to see him being treated this way because of – politics the broncos don't like paying people over 30 sure but i have no confidence that money's going to go to anybody better so give that man his due well and champ bailey played well into his 30s and i feel like he's the best i mean champ was bigger than chris but he you know i feel like that's a good comparison of who chris harris could be for a long time yeah um i will say i want to get this just on the record i do not think the broncos should draft a quarterback in the first round from the little that I know about this, and I know almost nothing, it doesn't seem like any of these people can be a great quarterback. And so why put the pressure on somebody to come in next year and compete for that spot if they can't do it? We'll see if I'm wrong. I am I think they're probably going to draft a quarterback, but I think it's a mistake. Uh, yeah. I, I've, I like the Broncos that I love the most were the the defensive Broncos. And I think – John Elway certainly did the right thing by drafting Bradley Chubb first last year. And if they can follow that mold to get the best defensive player available, I know Devin White and Devin Bush, Greedy Williams, a corner, he's probably going to go before 10th. But I think just shore up that defense more and more um, is better than any project because you're not going to get a player who's going to be better than either Case Keenum or... Joe Flacco for at least two years. So drafting a guy who's going to hold a clipboard for definitely a year and likely longer in a very poor quarterback draft class, it would just be super uh, short-sighted in my opinion. And we know John Elway loves his super tall quarterbacks, but there's no one who's that tall anyway. Um, so and if Dwayne Haskins wearing the jersey is what gets him on the Broncos, I'm going to be so mad. But I, it sounds like that might happen. Like, if he doesn't go earlier, I, I think if he's there, the Broncos will take him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that that's it for this week in the Denverse. Yeah. <laughs> Note, <laughs> the punctuation was the From the Denverse, there's still a lot of hype. 
course, go Nuggets, go as Rockies. Thank you for trying to get your shit together. And Broncos, it's show and prove season, so we'll talk about you when you give us a reason to. From the Denver's signing off, peace. <laughs>